And hello again, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne with the Sports Rivals. It is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Great to have you with us again, as we have done on previous shows. We bring rivals to you, and our purpose here is to preserve memories of some of the great sports rivalries through the words of those who have participated in them, and these are the rivalries that are brought to you from the inside out. A bit of a different rivalry regarding sports today with the two gentlemen who have been deeply involved in some of the biggest sporting events over the past uh, decades. For Richie Zients, 40 years, a network producer of sports, he's been involved in 13 Super Bowl productions, including six Super Bowls where he has been the lead producer. He had 20 years at Fox covering NASCAR as a coordinating producer. The Daytona 500 he covered for 17 years when Fox had the, the National Hockey League. He was involved as a producer there for five years. And those Super Bowls are scheduled to continue. Richie Zients is scheduled to be the lead producer for the 2022 Super Bowl. On the other side, Fred Goodelli, 31 years as a producer of the National Football League's primetime games, including 15 years with Sunday Night Football. He has uh, 23 Emmys lined up in that office. He has been the producer for six Super Bowls. He is in the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame, and he is scheduled to be the lead producer for the 2021 Super Bowl. So Fred Godelli, Richie Science, our guests today, two of the really outstanding and respected producers in all of sports. Guys, first of all, thank you very much uh, to Richie and Fred for both of you for being here. And I would just like to kick this off with a, a question that I have personally. I have wondered about this over the years regarding producers. Uh, and Richie, I'll start with you and then and Fred can respond as well. Do you as producers pay attention to one another, to other producers as to what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, is that something you do as part of your job, as, as just part of an interest on your part as to what other producers are doing, Richie? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, like you said, Freddie's got a closet full of Emmys. I'd be dumb not to be watching what he's doing. And uh, you want to stay current and see what's going on, especially for Fred and I. You know, we're producing games that a lot of people get to see. And uh, I, I most definitely, I check in and watch as much as I can. And, you know, I would just say, you know, part of that, uh, Gary, is as you get ready to, you know, produce a game every single week in the National Football League, you're watching that team's game the week before. And many, many, many times during the season, it'll be the Fox A game. And, you know, not only am I watching it to see, you know, what the Rams are doing or what the Cowboys are doing, I'm watching it to see, you know, what Richie and his director, Rich Russo, are doing. And uh, if I'm watching a game, I am definitely observing all the production techniques, no matter what the sport uh, that's being used in a game. So uh, most definitely is the answer. You know, I can remember uh, watching one of Fred's games and he, he put up a photo right before Super Bowl one, even though it wasn't called Super Bowl one back then. And it was, it showed the captains at midfield and there were like two guys, you know, and a referee. And it, it just shows you how far the game has come. So I, I, I stole that idea 
I think I even emailed Fred about it, asked if he would he mind. He did. Right? Yep. And and we and I think we showed it before the start of the Super Bowl with Kansas City and um whoever the hell they played a couple of years ago with the one that we did. And uh, yeah, so we we definitely it's uh it's it's we're not really competitors. I mean, I think we're all lucky to be doing what we're doing. And um I I I always pay attention to what Fred's doing. Uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth is a guy I work with. Uh, the CBS guys are guys that I knew from way back. And, you know, at the, at the lead crew level, you know, you'd be foolish not to really see what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I mean, I would equate it to like, you know, we all have the same ingredients, right? I mean, it's the National Football League, albeit Rich and I are usually doing a big game every single week. You know, but it's the same players, the same coaches, the same stadiums. But it's what you do with all those ingredients that distinguishes your broadcast from another. And I think Fox, I think the A game, you know, definitely has a philosophy that I enjoy watching that's different than my philosophy or CBS's philosophy or ESPN's philosophy. I don't know if I could actually name it, um, but it's really comfortable. Uh, I never leave their broadcast with no questions on, uh, you know, unanswered. And it's a fun watch for three hours. And at the end of the day, we're here to entertain people. So, um, but again, as I said, no matter what sport I'm watching, whether it's baseball or hockey, the NBA, college basketball, golf, whatever, you're definitely paying attention because you might see something that you can bring, you know, to your telecast, as Richie just pointed out, you know, that that makes your show better. You know, I can, uh, you know, Fred can, Fred can relate to this. You know, you do a big game or a Super Bowl, and the question is always, how many cameras? You know, how much equipment do you have? How many cameras do you have? And I'm thinking back to when I first started at CBS in the early 80s, we were doing we were doing football games with four cameras and 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 two tape machines. And it's just incredible how far our industry has come, right, Fred? Uh, without a doubt. You know, it's funny, I didn't really get into ESPN didn't get the NFL, and that's where I started my career. We got the NFL in 1987, and uh, John Wildhack was the producer back then. But I remember working on a couple of games to help John, and uh, it was a big deal because we had like 14 cameras. and Oh, my God. <laughs> Slow-mos. I mean, it was like a really big deal. And that would be, you know, that would be on the smaller side of today's NFL broadcast, I would, you know, I would imagine – but Richard, like, you know, this, like, I'm, I just, again, not to zing anybody here, but, you know, like CBS put out a press release this year. They had 135 cameras for the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, 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 and they had the most pedestrian game you could right. get, you know, where nothing happened, you know, so the telecast was pedestrian, not solely, not their fault, but, you know, look, you know, you want the equipment that's going to allow you to document the game in the best way possible. So every, was he in, was he out? Did he cross the line? Did he not? Was his knee down? Was it not? You know, you want to have all those questions answered as vividly and clearly as possible, you know, but you don't need 135 cameras to do that. You know, a lot of times those, those excesses aren't our fault, right? It's, it's, it's the technical guys and the operations guys who are excited about this new piece of equipment or that new piece of equipment. And all of a sudden you get emails finding out that you've got eight new things here, eight new things there, because it's, you know, everybody takes so much pride in these big games and I, I, I can understand it, but 
you do not need a hundred cameras to cover a football game. No. And you know, like I like Drew and I, Drew Esikoff's the director of Sunday Night Football. I mean, he and I take this approach. Hey, if we do our normal Sunday night telecast and then surround it in and out, you know, with some, you know, bells and whistles and you know, some cool interstitials, it's gonna be enough. People are gonna right. enjoy it. Exactly. You know, people are gonna enjoy it. It's gonna be enough. All the extra equipment, really, the way we try to do the big Super Bowl, is to make sure that you have those plays I just described, that you have a clear, definitive look. You know, you know, was it a catch? Was it not? You know, all those, you know, all those things that come up in a football game. So when it's over, there are no unanswered questions. You provide absolutely. You you provided the definitive looks because. You def there are there are definitely diminishing returns if you're going to be trying to work in 50 cameras, you know, to your, uh, you know, normal play-by-play coverage of football. It just it just doesn't it doesn't allow for it, and that's where you see sometimes telecasts go off the rails. They have too much, and at the end of the day, and Rich, I don't know if you agree with this, but really, people are going to judge it by what kind of game the talent's having. And how well you covered those big moments. The big, I can't agree more. I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think the philosophy, which I agree with, is do your normal game. You know, like the field is still 100 yards long and the same number of players. You know, prepare for your normal game and just build out. Add, add the things that you described, the just-in-case things that you, you just have to have. But you need to keep the same philosophy that you had in October and November. Yeah. Otherwise, you get you get buried you get buried in excess, and I, I've seen that happen. Yeah. No. It, it, it. I mean, I think everybody who's watched big events that somehow went awry, if you went back and you asked that production team what happened, their eye like really truly came off the ball, you know, and they were worried about incorporating all this ancillary stuff. Mm-hmm. That yeah, when when it, when it when it's called for and it works, it's great, but. If you're just trying to get it in because you have it, you're going to be making a lot of mistakes, whether editorially, technically, uh, or just the actual flow of the telecast. So uh, simple is better if you can, and then try to make it look big all around. And I I think you're going to be in in a better situation. You know, one thing through the years I had to really teach myself, because most of us in, in our business, we, we have that ADHD quality where, you know, multitasking and just attention span is, is very brief. I always had to fight myself from being impatient, especially during a bad game where, and I'm going to ask you, Fred, if you feel the same way. I used to feel like if the game is bad and there's just nothing going on, that it was my somehow responsibility to create a better, more exciting game slash broadcast. And I found that that usually led me down the wrong path. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Or if the game starts slow, right? So if you're doing the Super Bowl and it's three plays and a punt and three plays and a punt and three plays and a punt, uh, and now you're like, okay, I got to jazz this up. Or if you have, you know, one side, you know, who when I did the Pittsburgh, Arizona Super Bowl, uh, Larry Fitzgerald came in as probably the hottest player in the league. He had just put up three amazing playoff games. 
And I think, you know, with two minutes to go in the game, Arizona, two minutes to go in the first half, Arizona had run 10 offensive plays. <laughs> Gerald had like two catches for like nine. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, uh, hey, all right, I, I got to get to Fitzgerald, but Fitzgerald, they don't have the ball. I can't get to Fitzgerald. Exactly. And you feel all this stuff like backing up on you, right? You, oh, I've got all this great Fitzgerald stuff. I, I got to get it in. But Fitzgerald's not on the field. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel that impatience. You feel that pressure. And then luckily for me, Fitzgerald had like one of the greatest second halves of all history and all that stuff got in, you know, and it got in at the right time as opposed to me trying to uh, me trying to force it. But it always goes back to a John Madden line that has basically been seared into my brain as a producer. And, you know, he just first time I met him, he said, uh, you can't format a live event. Exactly. The event is the event. And no matter what you planned, as he would like to say, a game is going to break out. And what you do with that game versus what you do with your plan is going to, you know, give you is going to determine how much success you're going to have on that day. And, And those are the truest words ever spoken for what you and I do. Absolutely. And, and, you know, John has taught us both so much. And, you know, one of the little things that John used to tell us and all the young guys who were doing the graphics is zero is a number, you know? So like if, if Jerry Rice or Larry Fitzgerald doesn't have a catch in the second quarter, you know, that's, that's a story, right. And it should be documented, whatever, however you document it visually with graphics, and a lot of times the young kid would say, but he doesn't have any catches. And John would say, well, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> that's, that's a big deal. And I, through the years, I've always remembered that. And, you know, whatever happens in a game, it's, it's also your job to document where the ball's not going. I think, and I know Freddie, you do this really well. I think we try to do it is there's a lot of stories to be told where the ball ain't. Right. And that was one of the, the, you know, the, the learning steps I got under, under his wing. Oh yeah. And especially because there's a tendency in sports uh, and especially in football to really just keep talking about the offense, you know, and uh, Madden would hit the talk back. Hey, you know, there's a defense out here tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Just to remind you that, Hey, maybe we should be start talking about the defense a little bit since this team hasn't scored, you know, all game long. And you know, we could probably do three hours on everything Madden taught us. But, <laughs> we could. Uh, but I mean, he would, you know, like a coach, you know, he kind of, I mean, I don't, I mean, I could just say this. I mean, I had produced NFL games for 12 years before I met John Madden and became his producer. Uh, but that was like the masters and the doctorate, you know, those seven right. years, like, you know, how to produce a football game, you know, by John Madden. And, um, you know, all those little one-liners that you and I just spewed out, there's millions, millions more, but they're all true and they're all correct. Yes, sir. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Guys, could you just, I know how much John Madden meant to you and the relationships, both professionally and personally, both of you have. Can you talk, each of you talk about that a little bit, how that developed and and a little more of what it meant to your careers? Well, Well, why don't we let Richie go? Because he worked with him longer. Yeah, and, and unlike Freddie, I never actually got to—I never got to sit in that hot seat uh, with John as a producer. But I go way back to 1982 when I started as a PA, and then eventually an AD, and and basically a friend, and 
and really good friend for the last 40 years. But, you know, <laughs> the first thing I remember, Bob Stenner, who was the producer when I joined the crew as a young kid, 24 years old, he said, John's a special guy, you know, and, and, and if there's two things you have to remember with John, it's low floor, big bed. Okay. When you book the hotel rooms, low floor, <laughs> big bed. And so, okay. So now I'm, we're doing a preseason game in uh, San Diego and, you know, I'm the kid, I'm booking all the logistics and the rooms and the flight, you know, that flight's not for him, but for everybody else. And I walk into the coffee shop on a, on a, on a the morning before the game. And I see this guy with a big a newspaper and a big cigar inside of his mouth. It's mad. He just, he just calls me over to the table. He looks at me and he goes, low floor, big bed. Apparently he was on the 19th floor with a twin size bed. I, I learned my freaking lesson right there, you know? Uh, look, I, I would just say this about Madden. It, and I know there's been a million lists because we just celebrated the hundred years of the NFL, but it, if you, he's, you know, he's in the top three people in terms of influence and importance uh, to the history of the NFL. When you think about, you know, those Raider teams he coached, there's some of the most historic teams and, you know, when you look at his record, it's really kind of insane. And then, you know, the impact that he had in television, uh, not only in football, but he kind of changed the paradigm for analysts and, and and what everybody was looking for, you know, once Madden hit the scene. And, you know, obviously the video game, you know, mm -hmm. is the most popular video game that's ever been made. And obviously that's NFL. So, and as Richie was saying, he taught like so many people, not only how to do football, uh, but really how to do television for a guy who had no background in television, but intuitively understood what the viewer should be hearing or seeing or, you know, uh, the discussion. And I'll never forget, um, I had met John once at a Super Bowl. Uh, Leslie Visser invited me to dinner. It was John, Leslie, and I. We had a great football conversation. But then the first time I went to meet him when he got hired at Monday Night Football, I went out to uh, California where he lives and uh, we meet in a restaurant and it's kind of it's kind of a slow start in conversation. And then all of a sudden he grabs like a salt shaker and a pepper shaker. He goes, OK, these are the two Tampa safeties. This is, part <laughs> this is Derek Brooks. OK. If it's if they're gonna if they're gonna hit the tight end in the seam, now tell me what each guy's doing and tell me how we're gonna see it on television, you know. And and that kind of broke the ice. And um, the one thing about John, you know, he he was he is the most observant person that I that I've ever met. Like when he's talking to somebody, he is observing everything about that person. Or if he's in a restaurant or a stadium, no matter where he is his antenna is always up and you can see, you know, how that served him, especially on the air. And, you know, I, I've, I've never forgotten that. And I've tried to always try to be in that moment. Like he was always in that moment and, and, um, and not be somewhere else. Uh, but like Richie, he's like one of my, you know, one of my really great friends. Uh, we talk as much as we can and uh, it, it's always a great time to catch up with him. There's so many anecdotes, you know, uh, you know, his his sense of observation is second to none. You know, I, I remember going to a seminar and I hadn't seen him in a year and I don't know where he goes. What are you parting your hair on the left side now? 
said, what the fuck are you fucking kidding me? Get a life for God's sake. How do you know this? And another time um, when CBS lost football, this is a interesting show you the, the worlds apart that we are. We're on John's bus. CBS has lost football. And now Fox comes into play. And now all the networks are after John, right? It was NBC was trying to get him. ABC was trying to get him. And Fox was trying to get him. And the rest of us, we, we're fighting for our lives, man. You know, we think life is over. Mm -hmm. We have no job. We don't know what's going to happen to us. And I'm on John's bus. We're, we're going out to shoot an all-Madden show somewhere in bumfuck Wyoming. <laughs> and, uh, and John's getting these phone calls from, you know, Dick Ebersol, from Fox, from abc and he's got like everyone bidding for his services and he's sitting there smug as can be and i think my my life is over right and and john actually saw it as an opportunity for everybody and as as you know he's always right you know he's the smartest guy i think i've ever met yeah i would say that I, you know i mean from a business sense uh there's no question you know john's got so many other businesses outside of football and and all of which are successful. My favorite Madden story is, um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, the four o'clock game in New York was usually an AFL game and it was always the Raiders. It was like the Raiders and the Chiefs, the Raiders and the Chargers, the Raiders and the Broncos. You got the Raiders all the time. So the Raiders kind of became my AFL team and, and Madden was kind of a madman on the sidelines, you know, walking up and down, his arms going crazy, yelling at the referees the entire time. So, you know, and they won all the, they won most of those games. So when I, when I get to work with John, for some reason, I think he's in the hall of fame already. And then uh, I'm just doing a little research to see what year he got inducted. And oh, holy cow, this guy's not in the hall of fame, which I, I couldn't believe. But anyway, so fast forward where it's Super Bowl 40, it's the day before the game. And we are in the officials locker room in Ford field uh, we had just met with the referee, and now we are uh, doing our final check-ins with the head coaches. Well, John was a finalist that year, and uh, his agent, Sandy Montag, was told, hey, you'll get a call by 1 o'clock uh, if you're in. Okay, so now it's like 1.45. We're wrapping up with Bill Cower, and uh, all right, coach, good luck. We'll see you tomorrow. He goes, hey, hey, before I go, John, I just want to say – I just hope you get in today because it's well past due. You're so well deserving. And John said, yeah, I don't think I made it. They told me I was going to get a call at one o'clock. Uh, and, you know, it's almost two o'clock. So everybody's like really kind of deflated. Uh, and now we have to wait like 30 minutes for Holmgren. So there's a, there's a TV, there's a remote. I turn it on. It comes right, literally comes right to NFL Network and Rich Eisen and Rich says, and now the Hall of Fame class of 2006. So I look at Madden and I go, what do you want me to do? He goes, leave it on. I'm like, okay. So uh, first, first inductee, Troy Aikman. Second inductee, Harry Carson. And then he, go, and then he goes, the third inductee, John Madden. No. And our room exploded. And there's this great picture that John's son, Mike, took. It's uh, me, Drew, and Madden, like in a group hug. Uh, it's, it's like half out of focus, half in focus. It's kind of artsy. But I'll say this. Uh, in terms of joyous moments in my life, you know, second to the birth of my daughter, 
I think might be this moment because I know how much it meant to him and to be, you know, um, just to, you know, just to be, you know, an accessory to that moment. Uh, but I, I never saw anybody, uh, you know, like that kind of overjoyed. And uh, that photo, Fred, I was there visiting him a couple of weeks ago. That photo is prominently displayed in his office. It's yeah. great. Yeah, it, it, it was, uh, I mean, it was such a cool moment. You never think, you know, why would you be a part of, you know, something like that? But, you know, going from I didn't make it to up pops the television, you know, to hearing his name. Uh, yeah, it was, like I said, next to the birth of my daughter, it might have been the most joyous moment I was ever a part of. You know, and, and Gary could appreciate this is the relationship that John had with Pat Summerall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that you talk to you talk to John with the passage of the years and reflecting back, it was such true love. I mean, they, they, they were such a perfect combination. And if you ever want to be touched, you watch the video of John speaking at Pat Summerall's memorial service. Mm. And it's a side of John that most people have not seen. Because before John came along, the play-by-play guy really ran the football booth, right? John, like Fred said earlier, he, he changed the paradigm, you know? And, and, and John was lucky to work with such great analysts through the years, you know, Al Michaels and, and, and Pat Summerall. And, and boy, he, he just loved He just loved Pat Summerall. Can't state that enough. You know, the one thing he and Al really had in common, uh, I would say of, of the people I've worked with in the business over, you know, almost 40 years, I never met two guys who were as good as they are, who made it a priority to have fun all the time. Like fun was part of the equation. Like there was never going to be a day or a game or a weekend that didn't have fun worked in there, whether it was going out to dinner. I mean, I know you guys played cards a lot. We didn't play cards when John came, but you know, we, we formed our own little team and we'd play uh, touch football against other PR teams. And John was the coach and he would cheat during the game. And uh, (laughs) there was always fun. And Al was the same way. There always had to be fun as part of the equation. And, And, you know, Rich, you know, we're working, we got 9 million fires we're trying to put out and, Sometimes fun is the last thing on our brains, but those two guys always bring it back to, hey, we got to have some fun here. Let's do something. Yeah. Al, Al always did have a little twinkle. Yeah. You know, whenever you, you see Al and John on camera, you always got the feeling that Al would you really got a kick out of working inside of Madden. Yeah. They had great reverence for one another. I think, you know, obviously, you know, I think Al knew, you know, John was the gold standard for analysts. You know, John knew Al was at the top of his game and, you know, one of the all-time best. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, th- those two guys, uh, I really appreciate about I really appreciate about them. And I try not to lose sight of that, um, that that fun aspect, uh, it just can't be, you know, it can't be the baton death march every single week. No, no, no. Got to be some fun in there. Guys, you know, um, go ahead, Richie. No, I was just going to add one thing, Gary, because like you said, we could do five shows on John Madden. But with all the big games John Madden's done, all the Super Bowls and championship games, 
During the football strike in 1982, CBS sent all the crews out to do a Division Three games to fill the program time. John Madden and Pat Summerall were sent to Springfield, Ohio, to do the big battle between Baldwin Wallace and Wittenberg. And John approached that game. He had a great time, like Freddie said. He really enjoyed it. We lost a few of our production crew to some uh, frat parties, and uh, a few bongs were involved, but that's another story. And uh, John and Pat called a Division Three game in 1982, and it was a lot of fun. I, I have to ask you this one as a fan and as a broadcaster. I've always wondered uh, uh, what it's like for you as producers the night before and the morning of, the day of, a Super Bowl game. Do you go to sleep? Can, can you calm your mind down? I mean, what's going on that night before and that day of? Uh, Richie, you can go if you want. I think the week is so long that you're actually glad that the damn game is being played the next day. <laughs> you know, it, 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 you're almost beaten down, you know, in, you know, pre-COVID with the meetings and the practices and the this and the that. So thank God Sunday's the game. Now, I, I, I'm usually pretty, I'm pretty calm, you know, and, and, um, but my first one, the first Super Bowl I did, I remember walking around the stadium in Jacksonville and you talk about really, this is my first Super Bowl. I'm in freaking Jacksonville, Florida, like the last place in the world you want to be. And I was, that one I was really uptight for it. I, I walked twice around the stadium thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I started as a security guard at CBS and now I'm producing a Super Bowl. And the night before, not to bring his name up again, the night before the game, I get a phone call. It's John Madden. You know, and, and John was just so gracious and kind and soothing and you know, kind of uncharacteristic, to be honest with you. <laughs> and he really, he really, he really put me at ease. But, the, you know, the last few that I've done, there's, a, there's an air of excitement. You know it's big. But, like, when the doors close on that truck, you know, for me, it just feels like September and October, you know. And that's that's the way you want it to be. Mm. You know, when, uh, yeah, when I got into this business, I don't know why, but I set an immediate goal of produce the World Series or the Super Bowl. Either one of those two would have been satisfying to me. Um, and the one advantage of the Super Bowl is you have two weeks to prepare for a game, you know, so you, you never have that luxury, you know, you, so a lot of, a lot of the research and, um, the watching of the tape and all of that is done, uh, not all of it, but a large chunk of it is done before you ever get, you know, to the Super Bowl city. So that mm. part of it you know, is definitely helpful. Uh, there's a million distractions, uh, none of which have anything to do with the game. Uh, but, you know, that that is what it is. And I look at it as the small price you have to pay to do the game. But I actually sleep okay the day before the game. I mean, the football part of it, I'm, I'm rarely worried about because I feel like I've got that down. But Richie and I, we produced that 30 minutes leading into the yeah. game. Yeah. The national anthem, America the Beautiful, uh, some kind of award, uh, the teams taking the field, a lot of stuff, you know, and that stuff is scripted for the most part. Uh, and you just want it to be done perfectly. And I think once you get past that 
six to six thirty show, uh, and the game breaks out, uh, you, you feel pretty comfortable. But I do remember the first one I did. It was in San Diego, uh, and uh, I think it's the last time the Super Bowl was in California, um, and uh, it was like an hour before the game. And I was definitely starting to kind of feel the, you know, 200 million people that were going to be watching. And I walked outside the truck and then all of a sudden I see my 11 year old stepdaughter walking around. I'm like, uh, what are you doing here? She's like, I got lost. I didn't know where else to go. <laughs> you know, I had to grab her, bring her back to my mother, uh, you know, in the stands. And that was kind of like the icebreaker. But I do do one thing about an hour and a half before the game. I take one lap around the field and uh, thank the man upstairs for giving me this opportunity so many times. I only wanted to do it once. And, you know, this will be, uh, God willing, number seven in February. And, and um, one other Super Bowl memory for me has nothing to do with the game. But we did the Giants beating the Patriots, the undefeated Patriots out in Arizona. That was the, uh, you know, the David Tyree catch and the last minute touchdown to Plexico Burris. After the game, I'm in the parking lot and I see Frank Gifford. And Frank is all by himself and he's wandering around. He looked, he looked lost. I, I, so like my best memory of that Super Bowl is, is getting a golf cart for Frank Gifford to get him to his rental car. <laughs> the things that go on for the big game. Gentlemen, we could uh, could go on here forever. Wonderful stories, especially regarding John and, and insights into what it's like for you doing that uh, biggest of all sporting events in the Super Bowl. Thank you so much for sharing the time, uh, for chatting with one another and letting us uh, listen in. Fred Gadelli, Richie Zients, two of the really magnificent producers of uh, sports in this country. And as we said, the next couple of Super Bowls, they will be in the seat uh, producing those games. Fred, Richie, thanks a million. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward uh, to watching you. And from now on, when I know you're doing games, I'm going to watch not as a fan, but as a wish for producer and see what the hell you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Gary. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. And that's going to do it for uh, another one of our shows. And again, insights that are unbelievable. A word from our sponsors, betonline.ag. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And by eBay, go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. A delight to have you with us today, joining in and listening to these great producers here on The Sports Rivals. You can find the show at Believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Learn more about this one and other episodes. We invite you to log on to thesportsrivals.com and join the conversation, questions, and suggestions for future shows. You can also follow us on Instagram at TheSportsRivals, Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for The Sports Rivals Podcast. Thank you all. Thanks to Fred and Richie. And remember, as always, it is the rivalries that make the games.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.